Philip was hung by hooks upside down. Uh, Matthew was killed by a spear in Ethiopia. Uh, Matthias was stoned outside of Jerusalem. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Uh, Mark, uh, though not an apostle, was dragged uh, until broken up in pieces in Alexandria. Peter crucified, tradition says, upside down in Rome. Jesus told him that he'd be crucified, but not where. Uh, but tradition says that Nero had him crucified, and Paul or Peter requested to be crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded in Rome, uh, ending his second imprisonment. Uh, Jude was crucified in Persia. Bartholomew beaten to death in Asia Minor. Thomas, uh, by tradition, went to India, where he was killed with a sword. And Luke, again, uh, not an apostle, but a writer of the New Testament uh, book of Luke, uh, was hanged. Of course, persecution wasn't limited to just the first century. It still happens today. Uh, it's against the law in some Muslim-dominated nations to be a Christian. You're not allowed to worship God or worship Jesus. Uh, in many nations, uh, Christians are persecuted by uh, persons of other faiths, principally uh, Hindu or, or Muslim. Young girls in Nigeria uh, still are taken captive by Muslim uh, uh, groups and forced to marry. Uh, Muslim men. Entire villages have been burned and the people there killed. Uh, Hindus persecute Christians in some areas of India. Uh, China uh, has become very uh, openly against Christianity, uh, destroying some church buildings. Uh, in China, to openly evangelize is against the law. You have to be asked about Jesus before you can teach someone else. It's illegal to be a Christian in North Korea. Uh, property of possessions and Christians have been taken from them in many places. Uh, not every nation. In fact, many nations do not have the same liberties that we do to worship our God, to worship Jesus. Even in Israel today, uh, in Jewish-controlled areas... It's difficult for churches to acquire property where they can worship God, build a building and worship God. Most Protestant churches in Israel today are in Arab-controlled uh, areas because they allow a greater freedom of religion. In Canada, if you speak uh, uh, against some sinful practices such as homosexuality, uh, you can be prosecuted for hate speech. Uh, persecution that we find is, is not so uh, covert, but it still happens. Uh, the hedonist in the United States uh, often will insult, at least, at the very least, Christians because they want to practice their immorality. And when we teach against that, they will say all kinds of things, hate speech being one of the more modern things or ways that Christians are persecuted. Uh, the secularists want to uh, eliminate references to God. Uh, they want our society to be atheistic. And, and so we find some 
persecution because of that. But persecution comes from everywhere, every direction. Humans have a tendency to oppose that which is different from us. And so wherever we are, Christians, if we are different from the society around us, then there is likely going to be some opposition to us. Uh, And the gospel of Christ is different from the world. It's different because it teaches a uh, belief in God. It teaches a change in hearts. It teaches us to serve God instead of ourselves or instead of uh, our base desires. And so the gospel threatens society because we teach what is different than the lies that Satan has spread. Uh, and sometimes persecution will even come from different faith groups. Uh, uh, sometimes it comes from non-believers. But anyone that, has a, uh, that Satan has a hold of will be threatened by the gospel of Jesus. And so there is likely to be opposition from that group. But an overwhelmingly wonderful thing is that regardless of persecution, in fact, sometimes it almost seems because of that, the church has prospered and grown. The church doesn't just survive, it thrives. During these times of great persecution, the The power of the gospel has been seen in the lives of people who believe. And so the church has grown. During these times, the glory of God is seen in the strength of those who believe. Their spiritual strength. And so the church has grown. During these times, the glory of God has been seen in the faithful because they have said, Thank you, God, for counting us worthy of Christ. Thank you God that we look enough like him that the world doesn't like us any more than they liked Jesus. We've been looking at the beatitudes for several weeks now. Uh, this is the 8th week, I guess. Blessed are the poor in the spirit. Blessed are those who are broken before God. They're the ones that will see heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, who are sorry, repent of their sins, because they're the ones that are going to be comforted by God's forgiveness. Blessed are the meek or the gentle. The world will not give them very much, but they gain much from God. They gain from God's riches, God's blessings, and they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who seek righteousness, who want to stand right before God. Want to be in a right relationship with God. Uh, They will find the grace and righteousness that God gives. Blessed are those who show mercy, who forgive those around them, because they will also be forgiven. Blessed are those who have pure hearts, who do not have a duplicity, who who do not have a, a hypocrisy. They're the ones that God will have in heaven. Blessed are those who make peace. They do the will of God. They're doing what God wants done. And they are children of God. 
because they act like their Father in heaven. Think about this. If we do not receive mercy, then we're going to get judgment. So it's important to receive mercy. If we don't see God, then we won't be in heaven. We should all want to see God. If we're not called children of God, then whose children are we? If we don't have these qualities, then there's a good chance that we're not part of the saved. (laughs) Because these qualities that are spoken of in the Beatitudes, they're qualities of the saved. And so each one of us needs to seek to be these people that are described here. The world always hates what is different. And if we have these qualities, then we're going to be different from the world. And so, yes, it's likely that the world is going to not like us because we are different and we become a threat to them. We're not opposed. Maybe these qualities aren't strong enough in us to distinguish us from the world. Number eight on the Beatitudes, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Again, the world doesn't like those that really look like Jesus because it threatens them. It threatens their lifestyle. It threatens their values. Uh, Even if we don't say anything, The fact that we are different becomes a condemnation of their sin, and they understand it that way, even without us saying that in so many words. Darkness does not want to have light expose its evil. Darkness doesn't want the light illuminating it and showing just what it is. It wants to stay hidden so its sin isn't as obvious. Jesus said in John 3, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. The light of morality and truth is foreign to the world. The world doesn't like that. And they persecute the light so that their deeds will not be exposed. They don't want the light to show their evil. And so persecution will come to people of faith. It comes because faith threatens unbelief. It comes because Satan doesn't like God, and anything that points to God, he wants to destroy. Could be that Satan wants to silence those of us who speak out in the name of Jesus. Matthew 5, still in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. 
So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice the reason for the persecution is our faith. Our blessing is from our righteousness, not from our sin. The blessing is about the false things said about us, attributing us to being wrong or evil or or against what is right. If we're mistreated because we've done something bad, there's no blessing there. There's no encouragement from the Lord there. Uh, The world will bless our evil. The world will encourage us when we are like them, when we practice those things that are proposed by Satan. Yeah, well, the world will bless that. But God will bless those who look like Him, even though the world will not. If we use the truth, however, and this is perhaps where many of us may find ourselves, if we are using the truth in an unkind way, there's not blessing in our persecution. Because we have used a tool of Satan, anger and harshness, and that doesn't make our righteousness right. (laughs) If we've been hateful and condemning in our presentation of the gospel, we're misusing the gospel. There are some people that, that will do that, and they'll, they'll pride themselves in perhaps they, the suffering that they... No, they've fallen into the, a, a misguided path. There are some blessings in persecution, however. In, 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 we do receive some blessings when we are persecuted. One of them is that we receive the kingdom of heaven for righteousness' sake. If we're persecuted because we've been doing right, living right, then we can have the belief, the hope, the assurance that ours is the kingdom of heaven. This is in doing what is moral, in doing what is right, in doing what is true. The world may exclude us, The world may not want us around, but God includes us. And God gives us the hope of heaven. Some may see righteousness as a judgment against them because we're different from them. But God sees us as His children. We are blessed in knowing that we're part of the kingdom of heaven. That's where we live, not the kingdom of the world. Another blessing that we receive in persecution is a reward in heaven. If we're reviled, if we're slandered because of the belief that we have in Jesus, God wants us to know that we have a reward in heaven. Our treasures might be limited here on the earth, but they are unlimited in heaven. They may be few here, but we are rich in our heavenly reward. It's a great comfort to know that even if we're slandered or betrayed here, we have a blessing of heaven. Jesus tells us another blessing that we have when we are persecuted, and that is that we have a great crowd of witnesses to be with. We are numbered with the prophets of old. 
they were persecuted because of their testimony. Many of them even died because of their testimony of God's truth, of God's righteousness. And Jesus says, if you testify about me, if you live in my light and receive persecution, then you have a fellowship with those prophets of old who served God. We'll be in good company. We are numbered with those of old who have served God. Persecution also allows us to experience Christ more fully. Number four, Paul said he wanted to know Christ more completely. After he says that, he talks about suffering with Christ. And the idea there is that he now understands what Christ did for him. And he wanted to be just like Christ in every way. And so part of knowing Christ is to suffer for the sake of Christ. Sharing in those persecutions enabled him and us to more fully understand what Jesus did for us. And the more we understand what he did for us, then the more we can truly worship him. Because now we understand his pain. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When Paul wrote these words, he had already suffered a lot. He would suffered more. But instead of running to hide from those who would persecute him, he continued to talk about Jesus whenever he had the opportunity. He welcomed the opportunity to serve the Lord, even if it meant that he would suffer because of it. Persecution is also a blessing because through it we gain spiritual strength. It can refine our faith or build our faith. Romans 5 verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, uh, been given to each of us. Each time we overcome with the help of the Spirit, we are stronger. Each time we conquer an assault that Satan hurls toward us with his fiery darts, we are stronger than we were before. The Spirit in us enlivens, enriches, develops us. Would that we all be hefty, strong in the Lord because of the strength that we have gained from persecution.
And I'm afraid that sometimes because we have not faced that persecution, we've not gained strength. And there are a lot of weaklings running around here because they've not had to defend their faith. Number six, persecution is a blessing in that it can actually help spread the gospel. It seems almost counterintuitive, but it does. Uh, It can destroy the faith of some, and it has, who are unwilling, unable to face the persecution. But mostly it has advanced the cause of Christ. Mostly it has enabled the church to spread. Uh, It gives credence to our testimony. If we don't deny, people will look at us and say, well, that faith must be of some value because they didn't deny but continued to face uh, persecution. So it must be true. When the Jews began persecuting the church in Jerusalem, early on, the church scattered everywhere. And everywhere they went, they went telling others about Jesus. And so the church spread and the church grew. Rome sought to destroy the church, killing Christians, putting them in in the Colosseums and, and having the roaring lions Tear them apart or the gladiators run spears through them. But the church continued to grow and eventually the church conquered Rome without ever picking up a sword. That is except the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You and I have to decide, what are we going to do? Are we going to run from persecution? Are we going to so, be so silent, so so? non-noticeable, that the world doesn't even know we're there? We must respond to the persecution as a Christian, not as a non-believer. If we respond to persecution like a non-believer, then sometimes we retaliate, we fight back. That's not how we're supposed to respond. Sometimes we'll be resentful and we'll hate. That also is not the way we should respond. That's responding like a a person from the world. We can show religious superiority and indignation. Well, you know, uh, that's, uh, and I'm something. That's also a response from a non-spiritually minded person. Or we could recognize persecution as a compliment, confirming our faith. Jesus told his disciples that they hated him, they'd hate them as well, because the world saw Jesus in them. If the world sees Jesus in us, then there are a lot of evil people in this world that are not going to like us at all. They're going to see us as a threat. So if... If there are not some people from the world that dislike us, maybe we're more like the world than we are like Christ. Jesus said that there are a lot of different kinds of people in the world, but one of them is, who would hear the word, one of them is the person that's heart is filled with rocks and stones. He, He gives us that parable in Matthew 13. Here then the parable of the sower. And then dropping down to verse 20. 
As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation, persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. If we don't allow the word to take deep root in our hearts, but if we maintain those cares for the world, and then persecution comes, then we'll not survive. If the world becomes more important to us than Christ, and then persecution comes, we won't survive. Our faith will dwindle away, fade away, and die. But if we allow the Word to take deep root in our hearts, then when persecution comes, it will confirm and strengthen our faith. So how we... How we respond to that will, well, for some of us it will kill us. For some of us it will give us new life, new strengthened life. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Sometimes when we're hurt, when we're called names, we want to strike back in anger. But we must overcome evil with good. That's how we respond. When persecution is confirming and refining our faith, that's when we overcome evil with good. We turn the other cheek. Maybe not so literally, but we don't respond in kind. We don't look for ways to be mean. We don't look for ways to get even. We look for ways to serve God. Paul was real direct to the church in Rome about how they would respond to persecution. And they were going to face persecution, even the lions in the Colosseum. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how the church in Rome and the rest of the world conquered the Roman Empire without ever picking up a sword. They overcame evil with good. We must be different in the way we respond to those around us. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us to love those who hate us, to do good. And that's that's how we need to live our lives. That should be seen in the words we choose, regardless of what we're talking about. Whether we're talking about the gospel or whether we're talking to our neighbors about the fence line or whether we're talking to somebody on Facebook about politics. 
Our speech needs to be filled with love, not vengeance. Still in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, tell, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If the world around us receives from God the same blessings that we receive... We understand the will of God. We understand how He thinks. But if the world around us receives from us the same thing that they're giving to us, then we're no different than they are. We don't look like God. We look like them. If the... The only way they're going to see something different about God... And about the people of God is that we must be different than the world. Different in our speech. Different in the way we interact. Different in the things that we do. We have to be better. Better because Jesus has saved us and now we represent Jesus. We are His ambassadors. And if we're not better, then then we're like the world. So we must respond to evil with good. We must pray for those who persecute us. We must pray that they change and have the mercy of God, not that they get what they deserve. And I'm afraid sometimes when we pray, say, Lord, give them what they deserve. Well, if we all got what we deserve, we wouldn't like what we got either. Yeah, we need to pray that they repent. We need to pray for their salvation. We need to pray for the grace grace of God for them. Remember, God wants everybody to be saved. Not just us. His grace will cover the sins of any person. Not just ours. Even though I give praise to God that His grace covers ours, He wants to cover everyone with His grace. Remember Saul of Tarsus? He persecuted the church. He was the one apparently that organized the stoning of uh, of Stephen. But God saw in him someone that could be of value. And so God reached out again to him because God wanted him to be a believer, not a persecutor. Saul believed and he became a great advocate. And eventually began using the name Paul and wrote a large part of the New Testament for us. And we read those letters today about God's grace and about God's forgiveness and about treating others with kindness instead of vengeance. 
And so we pray for those who persecute people of faith. We pray that they come to know Jesus like Saul did, so that they too then might become great advocates for the faith, touched by the mercy of God and now serving Him. Pray that their hearts be softened with the love of God. Pray that they can come to recognize the righteousness of God of heaven. Pray that they can recognize God's righteous judgment and come to repentance. Pray that that they now would have a testimony of faith about how they have been changed. Pray that we might have a similar testimony that we have been changed and now we have a heart of kindness and love instead of vengeance and hate. What is our testimony? If someone were to say, tell me about your faith journey, what would you say? What is your testimony? Maybe we need to start doing that. Wednesday night we just have several people get up and do a faith testimony. Has that testimony about your faith in Christ brought conflict to your life? If it has, we'd like to pray with you that you're strengthened and able to endure that. And not be silenced, but able to continue on with love and grace and help others to know Jesus. Maybe you've got a problem in your testimony in that you're afraid to speak. We'd like to pray with you this morning that you have the courage to speak out. Instead of hidden away in in some corner afraid to profess your faith that Jesus is the Christ. We want to pray this morning. We want to encourage each one of us that we have the faith to proclaim Jesus as Christ even in a world that disbelieves, even in a world that might be hostile to that testimony. Maybe some of us are here today and we've not made a testimony about Jesus yet. We've not made a commitment to Jesus yet. We're still uh, separated. Let's be standing. We'll sing a song as we always do. And if we can pray for your strengthened faith so that you might have a testimony about the Lord, we want to do that. Some will be in the foyer and we'll pray with you there. Some of us will be here at the front and we'll pray with you. But if you've yet to make that testimony of faith in that you're not baptized in Christ for the remission of your sins, you've not publicly said to the world, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and been buried with Him in baptism, You can do that this morning. You can do that today. We encourage your response as we praise God in song.